0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 10 of Shift Notes. Um, We have a really exciting guest with us today who is outside of the hospitality industry, but we're really pumped to get on board because we believe he can offer us a lot of really cool wisdom and experience around the topics of leadership and coaching and even uh, share some of his own personal career um, experiences as well. So I met Jared through Oro, and through Healthy Hospital, through some of the wellness experts that we work alongside. And he's done some coaching and leadership workshops with us. And so we thought it'd be really cool to get him on the podcast as well and get him to chat a little bit about his own experiences. And hopefully we'll learn a lot today. Um, And yeah, really pumped to have you on board. So thank you for taking the time out of your day to join us.
1: Thank you, team. Yeah, Laurie, thank you. Yeah, really cool. Always love sharing the corridor.
0: Awesome. Um, so we're going to kick off today and just find a little bit about who you are and where mm. you have come from and, um, and what you currently do. So give us a rundown.
1: Sweet. Quick rundown is I only ever went to school to play rugby and eat lunch um, and was just passionate about wanting to play footy and we chased that footy dream and uh we got to play a couple of games for auckland at the time and was on the verge of that professional kind of contract and career and then i um injured my neck so i had a career ending injury there at 22 which was a a bit of a shock because all i'd ever thought of and done was wanting to be a a rugby player so when that happened it was like oh heck you know and probably a few other swear words in there but um what do i do now uh what do I, what do I bring to this world now because it was only ever rugby um and I did what I what I only knew how to do which was rugby so I worked in rugby and um for the fol- for the following I think it was 5 6 years we managed to just work our way through uh you know organizations and jobs and roles and ended up at New Zealand rugby here in uh, or down in Wellington for um 5 years so for someone who wanted to be an All Black but wasn't, um, ending up working down there at headquarters was probably the next best thing.
0: That's yeah. pretty amazing. Um, and, and and since then, you've kind of gone on to do a lot of leadership work and, and things, and, and we've experienced your coaching ourselves. So how did you get into the leadership and coaching sphere?
1: Yeah, yeah, good, good question. Um, my time at New Zealand Rugby was around coach development, that was my role. So helping our community coaches at schools and clubs uh, get better and also then take a group who wanted to try and be a professional coach, provide pathways and opportunities and development for them. So to be able to do that, we needed to you know, um, be around some high-performing people. So we were able to plug into our high-performance coach team whose role was to work with our All Blacks coaches, to work with the Super Rugby coaches. And so we were getting, we were plugged into that knowledge, which was pretty powerful. Um, We, there's some amazing, you know, world-class people in that room and in that environment. So um, I remember just sitting in some of these uh, workshops and conferences and all the Super Rugby coaches were there and All Blacks coaches were there. And I was in the back corner going, what the hell am I doing here? I was ready to roll out the tea and coffee, you know, so we just learned a lot through that and we applied it in our context, in our space and probably just saw the opportunity that a lot of other industries and organisations weren't doing in sport, or weren't getting in sport. I thought we were really lucky in sport. It's particularly rugby, New Zealand's kind of, you know, most popular game. So um, a lot of effort went into training and development of people and uh, when we looked around, we could see, oh, man, there's not a lot of other uh, industries that, that get this type of love. So, yeah, we could just see that we could maybe add some value elsewhere. And we wanted to try and spread the love and our experience um, to a wider audience than just those in the footy space. So we took the leap and left left the only thing we ever knew. <laughs> it's, it's, you're totally right,
0: That's though, amazing. I mean, particularly in we we've had this discussion a lot through our podcast in hospitality that we feel that there isn't enough leadership or coaching um going around and it's an industry that could really use it because you are under so much high stress high pressure environments you have to be performing a game people face on um, all that kind of stuff so i think there's going to be we're going to ask you a lot more about that um but before we get into that uh the other question i have to do so you're so you're doing a lot of work around coaching and i guess um and helping people develop better leadership skills and, you know, develop themselves. What do you currently find is the most rewarding part of your work?
1: Oh, man, mm-hmm. just helping people um, break through from breakdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, breakdowns being challenges that they're facing in life, example, or situations in life where they just feel stuck and um, helpless, that they can't feel that there's, they feel that there's no way out um, and kind of lost hope. That could be with relationships, that could be with health, eating, that could be with career. Um, Because in in my journey, when I left rugby, everything that I knew, I had this massive train crash. Mm. (laughs) Life just collapsed on me. And um, when I started to discover why or, or why I felt that way, there was some real key insights into why I felt so helpless and it it wasn't the truth right it's just how we were feeling and how what we were thinking so we're now able to share how to overcome those feelings in situations with others and that's that's probably the coolest bit because there's freedom on the other side of that when you feel like you've gone from being trapped to not being trapped you're like wow okay i'm i'm not stuck under a rock i think it is i
0: want to find out more about that (laughs) yeah that's awesome um yeah i guess like yeah um i guess we can get more into that but i might hand over to g so we can take yeah. on or is it mikey that's the next topic i can't remember that's <laughs> me
2: that's me i'm uh, i'm quite intrigued about this topic um because growing up i i played rugby as well um mikey yeah. did as well
1: laurie if you play rugby I, um, yeah did yeah, you I'm not Sherry.
2: play rugby <laughs> <laughs> I, um, We didn't
0: have rugby in the states
1: <laughs> who was your club g um, well,
2: I used to play for high school, but I played for Carlton Grammar as well. Ooh, I'm a white and matter man. <laughs> That's right, man. We are all growing up, you know, we made some mistakes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
2: but yeah, rugby, rugby played a big part in my life. Um, it was one of those ones where, yeah, you learn about teamwork, you know, you learnt about there's no I in team, but there's your mate. And, you know, you've always got someone behind you, whether it's someone following you down the field so you can pass the ball on to, or whether it's someone that's, you know, there to pick you up. And having now worked in the hospitality industry for the last 15 years, it really does feel like the same sort of vibe. And we were talking about this the other day where, like, the rugby field is so similar to a hospitality environment where the ref is more or less like the manager in the bar you're looking after your staff the well-being of your staff but then you're also looking after the customers and you're trying to find that medium ground but like how you can bring them both together um there's obviously a lot of similarities between the that the professional sport in general and hospitality the high pressure and you you've, you've clearly worked in a professional environment for such a long time which involves really kind of being under the pump like what helps a team thrive even when under pressure you reckon
1: yeah, man, such a good question. And um, again, just feel so privileged to be involved in, a, in, in rugby and in New Zealand rugby, particularly because that was their goal as the All Blacks, particularly as that team and all the other high-performance teams in there with the Sevens and the Women's and the black fans, was to ultimately they're measured on how they perform under pressure, key moments, gold medals, World Cups. Yeah. Right? So they search the world for how to do this. And so um, when you put that question through, I, I, I had to write a couple of key notes because you could just share so much. Yeah. Um, but the key thing I, for me was that they practice three times as much. Oh, sorry, this is just club. If we just take a volunteer club player, they would practice three times more than they would play. Yeah. Um, I spoke to a professional athlete yesterday. <clears throat> that- Tuesday, it was only two days in her week and she had already trained four times in two days in the gym and then on the court he hasn't played a game yet yeah. <laughs> and so i think that's a real big key to perform under pressure is there's you know there's more training than definitely um so that was a really really thing that stood out And then the other bit was just understanding ourselves under pressure, how we respond and how we behave. Like uh, one thing always stands out in the New Zealand Sevens program. Um, They did this activity, uh, you know, they invited players to come and trial and uh, they did this marching activity. Anyway, it was an activity that they they were going to fail at. They couldn't win, but they didn't know that. And so this marching thing went on for like, like half an hour, almost an hour, they just kept going at it. And um, the whole goal of the activity was to cause pressure, cause frustration, and just cause this absolute kind of chaos. Because what they were watching for was how you might behave, Laurie, and how you might behave, Mike, and how you might respond, G, because how we do one thing, we do everything. And if I went quiet in that activity... Then in the field, in the last five minutes, when we needed to perform, I would probably go quiet. If um, Actually, I wasn't the quiet one. I'm usually the one that yells. So I'm the (laughs) yeller when we get under pressure, and others would go quiet. Others, you know, we'd be able to see their habits and behaviors come to the top. So understanding ourselves under stress response, and there's a really good, if, if you guys have heard of the stress response before. I haven't. A little bit, yeah. Like it's just the key function on how we behave, and it just changes how we understand ourselves. And when we understand ourselves under pressure, we can understand why, you know, JT might start yelling, yeah, things get heated, or Mike go go Mike might go quiet. Um, So yeah, we then become empathetic towards others. Yeah.
2: Which I think is a very similar to hospitality, right? You know, you get put in, in, under pressure in a sense of like you may have a customer that doesn't isn't happy with the drink that they get, or isn't happy with the food or the service, and so they're having a go at you. But as as like a rugby player, I remember fucking being at school and being told like, no, you're not allowed to just take them out. Like you have to have a reason. <laughs> they have to have the ball. And so yeah, I, I guess like is there sort of lessons from like the rugby field that hospitality could learn from and sort of like how to keep themselves composed because it is a draining job and like Mm. it's mentally and physically draining um and it's very much like team sports as well there's there's a fit yeah if there is any sort of advice you could give us that would be yeah
1: yeah a couple again come to mind was um uh you know of the white locks um i think there's four brothers Anyway, Sam Whitelock's in the All Blacks at the moment. And there was a time when two, maybe three of them were in the All Blacks, but they were all at Canterbury. And they're from fielding up here and they're a farming family. And their dad brought in this thing called the Red Book. And basically, it was a little book where players would write what they want to work on, like a diary or a journal. And um, in that Red Book, he would get all his players. He was coaching their school team at the time and, you know, reflect on your game. Reflect after training. What are your goals for the game? And then after a game, reflect. And so he got these kids writing. Like I wouldn't have done that, probably, you know, I just wanted to throw the ball around. But I think the big thing that he started to generate, and now a lot of teams have started to take on called the red book is just journaling or reflecting, right? Sitting down and taking time to go. How did I go today? What went well? Yeah. What would I keep doing? What would I stop doing? And what maybe could I start? doing yeah. that self uh reflection is you know that's the power in learning yeah which i think
2: yeah again it has like a beautiful tie to hospitality like in in a restaurant service in particular you have your pre-service chat of like okay we have this many customers this evening we have these sort of like guests and it's the same before like a big game you know you're all huddled together you're amping each other up and then it becomes a game time that's your service and then after the game, there's the post-bear. You go into the club rooms and you're all kind of like hanging out together. And I think that's, um, yeah, I think that's when you kind of like forget what happened in the evening and you're kind of like, okay, well, this happened, let's talk about it. All right, let's move forward. This is the only way we're going to get better as a team. That's yeah. Cool. Coffee, so that, right? that
0: tradition, you know, like yeah. to make it very like, you know, take some of those leadership principles and say like, okay, well, maybe when during our staffies, we should take some time to reflect on how we're feeling well and well. Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely. I don't think it's something that happens as often as it should. Um, I've only realised in the last few years how important it really can be. Like, you know, you always talk about it and you do end up having to chat maybe a day or two later. But I think just there and then at the end of the night it's so important.
1: Um, Yeah. And and in that chance too, when you're in a set, like if it's us uh, for even, there's also a cool opportunity to create, you know, a tighter team culture or connection, whatever you want to call it, by getting others to go, right, well, what do we all think? Mikey did well tonight. And, like, yeah. when's the last time you've Tossling. been told, Well, you know, we're not told a lot what we've done well by others. 100%. And then all of a sudden, when you've got all these things that other people are saying that are well about you, you're like, oh, wow, okay. That's bloody <laughs> awesome. Um had a comment, just quickly, example, and I had a conversation with the Silver Ferns captain and um, with the Central Pulse, they did a, a, an activity um before their final that they had a netball and they all wrote something nice or that they, you know, they were um, admiring about each of the players. So there's, I don't know, 12 in a team maybe. So they all got 11 things from 11 people on what they, you know, valued about themselves. Like that's, when was the last time you got 11 notes? So one. <laughs> 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 that's um, pretty...
0: That's a, that's a good call. And and you know what, Mikey, you did a really great run yesterday. So, <laughs> Oh, thank you so
1: much. Mikey, your bed's looking great today.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> you're well-groomed yeah,
3: yeah. well today. <laughs> you, you spilled your coffee nicely and you didn't, didn't yell.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get to my call. Thank you very much. I wasn't gonna say anything. I could have just let that slide. But yeah. Here you go. yeah. <laughs> um one
3: little piece on one little piece on this last question for me. I mean, I guess the whole the whole premise of what we've just talked about is what shift notes is. Like mm. the whole the whole nature of even the word and, and the way, way we came up with the whole brand or the idea behind it. Yeah. yeah. Was this after shift note. So like this red book, it's it's the little it, it's the notes that you make after after work. And I guess that's oh. kind of what we're
1: trying yeah. to get mm. Yeah, definitely. Okay. It's mine. And Just, we were secretly
0: uh, hoping people would listen to us when they're closing down as well. So,
1: that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that. like, yeah. that, uh, like that brand.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Um just one uh, I got another little uh question that I wanted to ask, and it was based around confrontation. Um so throughout the years of working hospitality, I've been quite lucky to have been involved with a few different brands. And one brand that sticks out um in my head is Santa Teresa Rum. So this RUM is Venezuelan Rum. Uh they have a program called Project Alcatraz, where they through the means of rugby, they help rehabilitate um um, ex-prison inmates, people that have suffered through mental health and people who are just having sort of like a really tough time. And so like through the means of rugby, they've been able to kind of like rebuild these people's lives and help sort of like maintain their confrontations throughout their lives and sort of like their high stress situations all through the means of rugby because it makes sense, right? It's like you're being... thrown into a scenario where you have to work with other people and not think on your own sort of scenario um throughout your career and like what you've done and like helping people like how do you and the players you've worked with maintain sort of like cool and calm and like these pressure points
1: oh man first of all that sounds like a meme project Our it's really cool what country was that based
2: <clears throat> in so they're from venezuela um but i oh. became really connected with them when i was living in the UK. Um, The UK. Brand, the Global Brand Ambassador is a very good friend of mine, and we um, we worked together on helping the community as well, and we ended up working with a charity called the School of Hard Knocks in the UK, right. where, yeah. we, uh, where we hosted a rugby tournament. But again, it was just more of like, let's get bartenders out of bed at 11 o'clock in the morning so they can go out for a run and then you know, we'll have some drinks after or we won't have some drinks after, but there'll be food and we'll just kind of have everyone just kind of outside in the fresh air. But yeah, just sort of learning about their programs and their values in Venezuela, especially like how hard it can be over there with sort of like the drug problems and the sort of like mental health problems. Um, yeah, it was quite, it's really insightful mm-hmm. working with them.
1: Um, so I think your question was how, how can we create more, Oh, so like how do you, how
2: do you and players uh, you've worked with maintain cool and calm in these sort of pressure points or like pressure points in general
1: mm, mm, mm. um it just comes back i mean there's again there's a, a lot of tools um first one is going back to understanding self that when things get heat or hot uh, hot in the kitchen, how do I respond? How do I, do I know my triggers? Because when I know my triggers, I'm aware and then I can stop it before it starts the snowball. That's, that's a big one, self-awareness. Second one for me that I've found real powerful to stay in calm is this thing called um, a compelling future. Yeah. And so if I just talk you guys quickly through this um, scenario, we're all going on holiday tonight, say, as an example Picture what that event might be if it's a 10-day um, Boys or Girls Weekend in Queenstown or it's a celebration, mm. four days, 50th. It's an event that we're, you know that night before you go on holiday, how do you feel?
0: Super excited. Yeah.
1: Excited.
2: Just over the moon, just like ready. Yeah. Yeah. Over the moon. So like
0: you a smile on your face. What was that,
3: Mikey? So much like contemplation of what's going to happen, what you're going to yeah. get. Yeah. yeah
1: and you know gee a smile just came on your face already um <laughs> so you walk into work a, a, a um, compelling future is exactly that because you walk into work the next day and you're on a different level than everyone else say like you've got to skip in your step and everyone else might be looking at going oh why are you so happy <laughs> in this world we're not supposed to be that happy right and you stand out when you are so that's having a compelling future now Let's just say we get to lunch or, you know, as you walk into your, in your workplace and people start requesting stuff off you and they might even demand things and they might go, hey, you're supposed to have this report done, whatever it might be. If you've got this compelling future that you're having walking into that night, that that kind of uh conversation's going to go like a, duck, a water off a duck's back. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'll get that to you. I'm off tonight, you know, not really. <laughs> you know, are you brushing it away? Now say you come to lunchtime and and the boss calls everyone and he goes right I know um you've all got plans or um you know but I really and actually we all need to stay for the next 48 hours and you're like oh no I got leave I'm out of here tonight and then he goes no that includes everyone who's got leave and and I know that legally that won't be able to happen, but let's just sit with it. Let's pretend that that compelling future was taken away and you're now going to sit here for 48 hours and do the work. How do you feel about that work over the next 48 hours, G, if you were sitting there?
2: Yeah, you'd be pretty gutted. And I guess um, the sort of like work output that you would be putting in is um, probably not as positive as you'd kind
1: of like hope or do in a regular, I guess. Maybe yeah. a lot of dragging feet, eh? Spinning you're in a money. completely different mindset. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and if you were to tell me what that 48 hours work or days would look, uh, feel like, what would it feel like knowing you're going to stay there and do all that work and not be able to go on your thing? Still longer. It feels long. What did you say, Laurie? Better. <laughs> yeah, but... yeah. And what does it look like, that 48 hours? It's a, a mountain. mountain battle. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's a mountain and it's a battle. Now, let's say you you know, you know walk out of that staff meeting and you're dragging your feet and you're like, oh, man, bugger this, da-da-da. And then at the end of the night, you know, you come in for dinner because you're there for 48 hours and it's pizza and you're like, oh, bro, come on, you could have got more than pizza. But anyway... He then walks in really happy and goes, hey team, look, I know you guys um, got the news at lunchtime, but I'm happy to say now that at the end of the 48 hours, one of our owners, trustees, whatever, uh, has passed away and their biggest stake got donated to all of us here because they value the work we do and you're all going to get $20 million at the end of the 48 hours. And, you know, again, after like going, oh yeah, right, whatever. If we just sit with that, say you're going to get a reward that's going to be bigger than that vision you had at the start, now, what does our future look like again?
0: 48 hours seems like a piece
1: of cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably worth it.
3: Probably stick at it for the next 48 hours. Just yeah, to- yeah. And what's
1: your attitude and feeling towards that next 48 hours?
0: Way more motivated.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we went from this mountain to now being a piece of cake, and it's such a common thing. In every workshop, we share that. And it's because we had this compelling future. Now, if we don't have a compelling future, we're going to rock up to work, drag our feet. We're going to bite at everything that comes up. We're going to snap at everything that's being said because we don't have hope. We don't have a vision. We don't have a future that we're excited about. So uh, if you, you guys come across visualization as a tool,
0: Yeah, a little bit. They're kind of like visualizing the finish line and what you want to
1: do. and It's what athletes do a lot. Yeah, you know, and like a common saying when athletes are up on the gold medal thing and they get interviewed at the end, they say, how does it feel? How does it feel? And they're like, oh, it's a dream come true. (laughs) Bying away. Well, a dream come true means they've thought of it many times before. They've actually dreamt of it many, many nights, and now it's happened. And so there's research on visualization and the astronauts that went to the moon did this, that um, they split a basketball team into three. One group had to practice shooting the um, the three throw, the free throw. I keep getting that term mixed up. They practice shooting. The other team wasn't allowed to practice. And then the third team just had to visualize, sit there and think that they were practicing. And the results were astounding. The, um, the team that practiced won by only like one shot. The test at the end, the visualization team came right behind. And so the the evidence of what visualization does, we're visualizing about our future. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it involve? Who's in there? That tool and that skill helps us be more resilient today.
2: Mm. I guess it's like in a shift when um, say for example an unfortunate uh, something unfortunate happens where someone can't come into work and you're more staff member down and you're just kind of like there's not really much you can do you just kind of have to just all come together and work together but you know at the end of the shift you'll all be sat together having a beer and more often than not the manager will be like you know what you guys have served up have another beer or buy some dinner tomorrow you know take you out sort of scenario. I think that's kind of like a rewarding feeling in our sort of scenario where the manager or the owners realise the sort of hard work that you've done and you're like, yeah, thank you, I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good point, man, because if there's a culture of they get punished if you know that happens, if no one turns up and they know they're just going to get kind of yelled at or, you know, that's not a compelling future for the next two or three, ou- whatever, eight hours, how long the shift is. You know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, definitely, and um, I think there's there's a really cool point in that to not look at bad things as happening to you. Like if something bad happens to you at a time, it's not like the be all end all. There'll be a after, you know, and you'll, it'll go away at some point, and you'll be okay.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> and and in sport, I feel we're kind of trained for this because you know we start out at the start of a season, and the goal for a lot is to you know succeed, win, whatever that there's this natural look to the end and mm. what that picture might look like, even if it's like the end of the year. I was a part of a team we lost every game, but our goal at the end was to go on this massive weekend like that was our compelling future end of year celebrate end of season celebration so there's this natural tendency to look to the future and what that looks like so if if it's a tool that people can start to yeah explore and develop and um you know if they're starting out at in in a certain point in an organization their future might be to one day you know own it manage it whatever it might be if they've got that in their mind then it helps them get through the daily the daily challenges or the daily grind whatever you want to call it
2: i guess like cocktail competitions as well right where you kind of visualize yourself like you want to be that person that wins the whole competition and We've been quite lucky. One of our friends, we uh, we interviewed him early on in the series and he had won the title for Barton of the Year in New Zealand twice and represented New Zealand at a global, highly regarded cocktail competition and did yeah, amazingly well, you know. And so, yeah, I think it's one of those ones that's um, just doing, given those opportunities, you know, just visualizing yourself like succeeding is, is quite key in this industry because it's getting that recognition for something that you're passionate about.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally, man. That's nice.
0: Oh, um, well, I think the next topic we're gonna chat a little bit about will be leadership skills. Um so of course we've worked with you quite intimately at the Healthy Hospital with um trying to run leadership workshops. So first question for you, pretty simple one to start off with, is what do you think are the traits of a good coach or a leader?
1: Yeah, man. Well I saw that question. Like again, there's so many, eh? Uh yeah. And everyone and you guys would have all experienced what maybe a a version of a good leader and a not so good leader and gone wow these are some good traits Mm -hmm. um the ones that stick out for me are as a curious leader and curious means like you know if we're working as a team someone behaves in a certain way or something happens being curious about why that happens Mm -hmm. and what's behind there rather than judging what you just saw it's like an iceberg we only see the 10 percent above above the water there's another 90 percent, and behind that so being curious is a, a big one for me um and then after being curious you've got to ask some questions and our high performance or the high performance coach development manager at new zealand rugby the time i was there is a guy bruce blair and um all the rugby, co- the super coaches, the professional coaches say, oh, my gosh, he asked the right question at the right time. And they just call, well, I just saw him as the question master because what do you guys think the benefit of asking a good question is for the person who's being asked? I
0: definitely think there's... A really big thing about assumptions, like people can automatically assume like, oh, this person didn't do this, so they're lazy or, you know, and and that kind of builds a negative cycle or a loop um, and, you know, maybe distrust between a leader and a staff member. So whereas, yeah, asking questions and clarifying, because ultimately, like I find this, this happens to me all the time, but I'm like, ultimately I can't read your mind and you can't read my mind. So unless we talk about it and find out then, yeah. (laughs) That would
1: be a superpower to have. Mm-hmm.
3: Like, like Laurie said, it's the it's the tip of the iceberg, right? You only see this part. So, somebody, for instance, in a bar, stuffs up a drink and it keeps coming out the same way, and you're like, "Well, actually, it, it seems like they've stuffed it up over and over again." But actually, it could be something back of house, or it could be mm-hmm. another piece. So, it's always it's always good to ask those questions, right? It's always mm-hmm. good to kind of dig deep and yeah, they're
0: maybe they're dealing with something that you don't know about, you know? I'm exactly.
3: Sure. Yeah. Maybe they yeah. hate you.
0: <laughs>
1: maybe
3: they're just making it badly on purpose
1: Well, yeah, you, and you never actually quite know it might i say when you do ask like the story that sticks out for me I was working at a school these three kids walked in late I was at the gate and they had the wrong uniform on but they walked in and I suppose there was a reputation of them of always being late and not being in the right gear and as soon as they walked in a teacher came out and just started bollocking them you're late you got the wrong gear on get to the office and they, they then get upset. Um, and then another teacher in the office started chatting to them. And she discovered that they'd been up all night. There was a party at their house that, you know, parents and neighbours had held. And they were trying to keep their um, younger siblings safe the whole night. For them to even turn up at school the next day is a win. Who cares yeah. what they're wearing?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah so, they, yeah. And, and they just how do you feel if you walk through that and then turn up and someone just starts yelling at you it's not yeah it's not welcoming it's not um yeah it's not a warm environment eh?
0: Mm yeah yeah that's yeah totally agree um so I guess on that topic of I really like the idea of being more curious as a leader I think that's really cool um I guess my next question for you would be if someone in hospitality wants to build and improve their leadership skills what could be some actions they could take from your perspective apart from obviously rocking up to one of our workshops
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'd like to just do do a quick round what do you guys reckon what's the one action they could do g sorry Uh, what's the one action you think they could do to build their leadership skills what's your one one word one point was it Listening, listening, Mikey. Yeah, I was gonna say, listening, Laurie. What would yours be? Yeah, I
0: think listening and learning
1: would be, yeah, yeah, totally. I I love that. And listening's definitely in there. And to add on top of listening is get a mentor, get a role model, someone who's been there, done that. And the story that I will never forget was sitting at New Zealand Rugby at this lunch thing, and the all black coaches were talking. to the staff 100 of people just sharing about their upcoming journey and uh gilbert anoka if you've ever heard that name he's like the mental skills mm-hmm. um man guru for the all blacks he's the longest serving all black member he's been to more test that or involved in more test matches as a, in the all black environment than um than richard mccall he's been around a long long time And he was telling, yeah, I was speaking to my coach the other day and I was telling him how we'd won the World Cup twice. We'd been top of the uh, rankings for like on average for 90% of the time. Uh, All Blacks are regarded as like the most successful professional team out of any professional team, soccer, basketball in the world. So he's rattling off all these achievements. And his coach said, good start. (laughs) I was like, what? His coach said that's a good start. Fifteen years of work, and his coach said that's a good start. I'm like, oh my God, but like that coach is on a different level. <laughs> but what really got me was the the mental skills guru of the All Blacks has a coach. Wow. And then I went going, Oh shit, I don't have, oh, I don't have a coach. I better <laughs> go and get a coach, you know, a role model or a mentor, someone to talk with. So yeah, man, that's that's stuck with me ever since. And I've had one ever since. Um, mm-hmm.
0: You have pain. to go and ask for that, right? You, yeah, you need to mm-hmm. find yourself a mentor.
3: I think it's pretty key in our industry as well. Like, especially from a creative level and an understanding. And, and I think you end up running into those, those kind of people because, because of what you look into and and how you research products and yeah. products and styles and that kind of thing. I think, often I I don't yeah it's it's hard because I feel like I don't necessarily have a whole a specific mentor as one person I feel like over over a a vast majority of people there's a whole heap of different people that I I like to follow and I like to understand and talk to.
1: Yeah Yeah, man it might be a mate's parent you know you like the way he behaves under pressure you know he's calm he always comes across calm and just yeah. Having someone you look up to and then being able to connect with is gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: That's so important.
0: Cool. And then I think the last question on my little piece here will, um, I just want to talk about the topic of vulnerability for a little bit. So this is something that has come across a lot in many different leadership books and platforms. And it's something that I know that the All Blacks have started embracing as well. Um, but hospitality has this kind of uh it's it's a very stoic kind of old school culture still in a lot of places um and particularly like there's that kind of culture where you just work really hard you suck it up uh and then you just you know get through it don't complain work 18 hours <sighs> so hard afterwards um and and it's not really a big radar on in the hospitality world well i mean you know, it's getting better, but I still think there's a long way to go. So, um, can you just take a little bit of of time to just explain to us a little bit about vulnerability and why it's important, how it might be used in rugby and, um, and maybe like, you know, should, should kitchens be making more time for this or should Barnes
1: be making more time for this? I'm just, I was looking for my Brene Brown book, uh, my bookshelf. Um, but just for everyone to know, you're talking to a former front rower rugby player and you're asking about vulnerability if, <laughs> if I had told you or if you told me I was talking about this like five, even five years ago I would have gone you're on drugs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> furthest most thing you know that I thought rugby men particularly would be talking <laughs> about but um yes it needs to be implemented in any environment and I was really trying to be specific and writing down, so I just want to make sure uh, I've, I've got my points right because what does vulnerability allow, do you guys think, if that is present in an environment?
3: I feel like from my, from my experience on the rugby field specifically, I think often vulnerability means that you can be quite easily rattled.
1: Can... Oh, right. So if you are... If you are showing vulnerability, yeah, it, it means that you're you're susceptible to events
3: yeah i th- I, well, I think so anyway I, I feel like've okay. seen that and probably felt that too
1: okay, so let's get your definition on vulnerability then what would be your kind of what does vulnerability look like for you for you guys
0: For me, I guess I've been on this journey of um I guess, like in my lifetime, holding things in and kind of trying to accept it and thinking that that was like the strong, courageous thing to do. Whereas I think that over the last couple of years, um, through some of the things that I've had to experience in my own personal life, I've realized that it's actually much harder to be open about what's going on in your life. Um, and, and that for me is what vulnerability is. It's almost like this, this courage to speak up and say what's going on and be truthful yeah, yeah,
1: nice. So, so it's it's that ability to speak up now around something we're holding on to. Now, if we're holding on to something and we're not sharing it, there is an aspect that we're maybe not um, not proud of what that is or we're ashamed. And so what Brene talks about is shame is this feeling of we're flawed and unworthy, basically not not good enough, not wanted. Now, that is the number one fear for all of us as human beings. Because in the survival brain is to protect us. And the survival brain, brain protects us by being wanted, or, you know, by trying to protect us by creating an environment that we feel wanted in. Because in caveman, cavewoman days, the number one consequence was being extradited or pushed out of the tribe, therefore not wanted. So shame is this feeling of, oh, man, I'm not wanted here, I don't belong here, I'm unflawed. And Brene talks about the only way to, to remove that feeling of shame is to talk about it. And it's hard because we're scared of what others would think, how they might react, and also what they, you know, again, what they might think of us. But if you were to speak that in that environment, Laurie and Shay, oh, you know, I'm feeling this um, because of this and, and that, What? how does that make others feel who might be holding on to stuff they don't want to share?
0: Probably like it's okay to
1: talk about it. It's okay to talk about it. And if you're my manager or coach and you're talking about it and I'm looking up to you, it makes me feel like they can still have these things and share it and still make it. I can still be wanted. I can still be, you know, worthy even if I have these things that I'm holding on to. So, for me, that's the power of creating a space where you're able to share what's, you know, really on the heart, on the shoulders. Mm -hmm. Um, And just lastly, in Brene's work, shame has got a direct relationship with addictions, anger, depression, and all these other things that, you know, we don't want around in our life so those who've got addictions there's a direct there's a link there saying there's something inside we're holding on to that we're shameful about now if we've got shame and that equals that type of behavior what's the opposite of shame no idea <laughs> Pride. proud AG? yeah Embrace. yeah embrace yeah. proud so um, shame is, remember that feeling, you're flawed and you're not worthy enough. So the opposite could be love. You are enough. You are great. You are actually special and unique. So if shame gets you behavior like addictions, anger, depression, what behavior would love get if love is opposite to shame?
0: Happiness.
1: That's a feeling. Yeah, yeah. So the behavior would be things like, man, cooperation, just like um, that thing like compelling future. Let's just go and let's just do this. So Brene's other quote is, um, as soon as we feel our value, which is as soon as we feel loved, you are part of this team. We need you, part of this team. Then we stop hustling. We stop trying to uh worked so many hours to prove ourselves. It's a hustle. We stop um you know we we just stop, you know, maybe trying to find find faults in others so that we can get ahead, maybe get that promotion, whatever that might be. We just stop hustling. And it turns from 10 people running a hundred meter race, she says to then 10 people running a relay. So I run the bat into G, go G, you run your hardest and you do your bit in your team and you give it to Lori. And we're just now this one team that's working together and cheering each other on like we do in a relay, like you go boy, get in there, rather than a sprint where I'm trying to beat you and hold you back or whatever else. Yeah, so it's it's so powerful. And I see the hospitality industry where rugby was 30 years ago it's exactly the same hierarchical the coach was the boss he just yelled people he yelled at people all day made them feel like shit which created more shame which is why we've got addictions for former players depression for former players it can change though because rugby has changed yeah it takes one 100%. person it takes one person one organisation and my my insight to this it was Canterbury and the Crusaders <clears throat> One coach, uh, Wayne Smith, maybe even Robbie Deans, but they changed it. They became so successful. Then everyone went, what the hell are they doing? Mm -hmm. And then if you look around professional coaches in New Zealand, almost a large percentage are from Canterbury, from that era that was so successful. And so now that's filtering out. So, yeah, it's exciting. Once that change starts to happen, and just takes one.
3: That's great. Yeah. That's amazing. It's massive insight.
0: Mm. Lots to think about there.
3: (laughs) So much to think about. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Um so so the piece I wanted to talk to you about first of all was was a little bit on kind of this crossover between we've talked about it a little bit with regards to cocktail competitions and that kind of thing, but there is this crossover between performance sport and bartending and and hospitality in general. So you do a lot of present uh, presenting uh, these days um, specifically developing leadership and mindset skills uh, in the bar world. Obviously we, we compete and we present in front of people. I do t- training. So does Laurie and, and G and that kind of thing. And, and I guess probably for, from our side, there, if there was somebody who wanted to move into a brand, uh, maybe a brand role or even just understand how, how to do this a little bit better. Um, I, I've worked, and I know G is like this as well, when we first started competing in cocktail competitions we it always very shaky and um, very nervous. So I guess, do you have any tips for anybody to kind of um, improve their presenting skills outside of the nerves piece, but just even just understanding the presenting piece?
1: Yeah, so just to clarify there, Mikey, presenting meaning like presenting themselves in front of people, like performing in front of people? I think their, both. I
3: think, the... I think, yeah, more so the performing piece though, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, well, that's a that's a good question. And again, there's there could be a few answers. Um, one that keeps coming back that I keep going back to here, though, is and it might be slightly deep. But what's the belief we have about ourselves? Um, if you know, if someone's going to go and have a crack, like have you guys heard of the imposter syndrome? What's your what's your take or explanation on the imposter syndrome, Laurie?
0: It's I've had this in my life. It's like, and I'm sure you guys sort of at some point, but it's like when you end up in a room or in a situation, and you're like, I'm not good enough to be here, or like, you know, in a role, or yeah, yeah, and you're like, why, why am I here? I shouldn't be here. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think Um, we've all had that.
0: Yeah.
1: And so that that stems from a belief we have about ourselves that was created from a shameful event in our journey in our life, usually when we were kids. So my quick example is at eight years old, I had to stand up and say my name. Start of the school year and the teacher made everyone stand up and say their name. And my heart just started thumping straight away because everyone and I, and funny you asked at the start, Laurie, how to pronounce my surname, but everyone would get it wrong. Tudor, Toro, Churo. and so I didn't want to stand up and say Jared Tudor. And so as it got closer, I just got sweaty palms, and I just oh man, I just I can feel it now. I got just shakes, and then I stood up and I said, oh hi, I'm Jared Carrington. which is my mum's maiden name. So technically, yeah, part of the family. (laughs) But at that point, oh, my gosh, I just felt, I remember the feeling was so heavy on my heart, and it was like a knife had gone through my heart, and this feeling, internal feeling of, oh, my God, I didn't say my family name. I'm not good enough. Because everyone laughed at me when I said that. Because I'd already been at the school a year, so they knew who I was. (laughs) So that event caused me to have... Now, I didn't know this at eight, obviously. But from that moment when I went on my rugby journey, you asked me, JT, well done for making that team. I'd have that same response. You guys, I'm so lucky so-and-so didn't train or didn't trial. Um, When I got picked for the Auckland team for the first time, I was like, I should not be in this room. But any time I'd get picked for a team, I'd walk in and I'd sit at the back. So if you've got this belief or this, say you've got these glasses on that that are got a lens that says you're not good enough, what happens if the coach comes to talk to you about something? How, how would you see that and how would you respond, do you think?
3: Be quite sheepish, I guess, right?
1: Hard out. Would you take on any conflict if you had that belief of, I'm not good enough, I shouldn't be here?
3: And not to start with, I wouldn't have thought, no. I'd be like,
1: I avoided conflict. So um, what happened next was I had my two weeks in the, the pro team and then all the people who got injured came back. But I said to the coach, can I hang around and just train? He's like, yeah, yeah, come on, come and train. And then the following week I was sick and I didn't want to ring him to say I wasn't coming in because I'm sick because I felt like I was a burden. I felt like that it would annoy him. I felt that he had so many other players to worry about that he didn't worry about me. What view is that coming? What view are those thoughts coming from?
0: Definitely not anything
1: truthful. Like hmm. yeah. The view of I'm not good enough, I shouldn't be there. These are where these beliefs are coming from. So I didn't ring him. What would you think, G, if you were the coach and I didn't turn up and I didn't let him know?
2: I'd be, yeah, if I was the coach, you know, there'd be a sense of concern, just like, was it something that we did? Did we not feel that person, make that person feel welcome? Um, yeah.
3: You put it in his court, I guess, and, and I guess there's a certain amount of like, oh, if you'd been performing previous to that as well, then that's a, it, it's definitely a huge concern, right?
1: Yeah, and as and also as a coach, there was also this. Well, he didn't ring. I've got four other players. You know, he obviously doesn't want it. You know, oh, I've given him an opportunity and he hasn't taken it. He hasn't mm. kept in touch. So I just kind of relate that to if if someone's about to step up into the arena as Brené talks about and perform and present, identify what some of that internal belief is, and it's it's always wrong. Right, it's just created, and change the belief through affirmations. It's another tool, um, and through talking about maybe what's what they've been holding on to to help release that, um, you know, that pressure, that that, and, and you know be vulnerable to talk about it, and their performance will go through the roof. I've seen it too many times to deny it. They will exceed expectations every time.
3: Yeah, that's awesome. That's such a such a nice insight. I guess to the trainings that I've I've ever done, and I'm sure yours are relatively similar, Laurie, for bits that you've done through work. And they're they're always very straightforward of specific styles of presenting and who to look for, and the the deaf lady at the back of the room, and, and all of that. And it's it's really nice to hear from like a a mindset point of view, for sure.
0: Hmm, definitely.
3: Cool. Um next little piece I wanted to cover was a little bit of work life balance. And I I guess it's something that we actually cover with everybody we interview. So um what what do you think the keys are to work life balance on the whole? Uh and maybe what what are some of the pieces that you do to maintain a, a work life balance uh yourself?
1: Oh man, I'm smiling because this is still always a work on A. Eh? And um
3: Tell us about it.
1: it before, but... uh, again, I love um, this clip of um, Tim Ferriss. Have you guys come across Tim Ferriss at all? Thanks, Abel. Yeah, uh, a, a kind of author in the New York a podcast. Um, and the, he said on this podcast, if you were to come and watch me, you'd be quite mm-hmm. bored because I do very little. And I was like, ah, man, he makes a bit of money. He's quite, you know, he's a celebrity and he does nothing. What the hell's up with this? Um, and so the question that kept coming into my mind is, well, why am I unbalanced? Because we we all know what it takes to be balanced. We we need to do a bit of everything. We all know what it takes to be healthy. We eat better, eat less, do more exercise, you know, move more. <laughs> we all know the answers, but it's what's keeping us from doing the answers And for me, it was, again, it comes down to what we think of ourselves and those internal beliefs. Again, going back to the vulnerability piece and the event that maybe happened in our journey, that caused us to feel, I have to do it all. Because if I don't do it all, I'm not good enough. Um, I feel that, you know, on a daily basis where I've, oh, well, I used to go, right, when I leave the house with my three kids, The the table has to be clean. The house has to be clean. There has to be, I want to walk back into our whare. I don't want to see it clean. If I don't, I'm a failure. Well, where did that belief come from? And so when you see a people, when I see a lot of people who are, who are working more than they should, there's a belief under there that says, man, am I good enough? No. Well, I'm going to have to do more work to prove that I'm good enough. Um, if we truly were, va- if we truly value ourselves, like Brene says, we'd stop hustling. And when we value ourselves, if you had, um, if this was gold and this would give you money every week, gee, Mikey and Laurie, and it needed to be watered or polished and looked after, would you look after it knowing that it would give you income every week? Yep. Yeah. How would you treat it? Where would you put it in your house?
0: Where it's friend
3: of mind, so I
1: can yeah. see it every day. Nice. Absolutely. Keep it in the fridge. You got to look after it, man. <laughs> yeah. Like you would take care of this thing, isn't it? If it was to give you, you know, say money as an example. Well, if we looked at ourselves and our body as a a, a vessel, the, like the golden goose that would give us, you know, anything we wanted, what would we do to look after it? We'd probably exercise more probably eat a lot better, maybe not you know, drink as much, um, but we would just take care of it because it's going to give us the things that we want. So for me, the balance bit comes back again to why aren't we balanced? And for me, a lot of the time, it comes back to the belief about ourself. And then again, that vulnerability piece helps remove uh, and uncover that so that we can really just stop the hustling.
3: Ma'am. Yeah. Sounds like it. it's like very yes. cool. I love it.
0: There's some there's some truths in there. So many truths.
3: <laughs> cool. I mean on on that nutshell, uh, often in hospitality we obviously work huge shifts, long shifts anywhere between twelve and fifteen hours, which which often to, to a lot of people makes makes having that life balance really, really hard. Um mm-hmm. do you do you have any like little tips to making making good of a potentially bad situation?
1: yeah man there um one that sticks out for me is uh a guy james clear another author wrote this book called um atomic habits how to build it i
0: love that book so good
1: and he talks about and it blew my mind because it wasn't what was in the sports space particularly was just do the one percent you know if i he talks about if i want to teach someone to be a marathon runner guess what the first Habit is that he gets them doing if they've never run before and but they want to be a marathon runner in what twelve months or six months, whatever. Guess what his first habit is he gets them to build. You know this
0: one, so
1: I'm not gonna say it.
3: <laughs> not sure. You got running G? Mikey, mm-hmm. not sure? Well, yeah, I'd say running or what yeah, watching or or studying running or something like that. Yeah, but... yeah.
1: He says put your shoes by the door <laughs> Or the night before, but just putting your shoes out for like 30 days, just put your shoes out. Like now, the natural, the human mind goes, that's not a habit. <laughs> that's not a thing. You're not getting closer to being a marathon runner if you do that. But what he says is you can't um, optimize, meaning for me, optimize for me is like you can't grow a habit and make it, you know, optimal or better if the habit's not even there. So his whole goal in that aspect is to get the habit there. So he says, let's standardize a habit. Let's just get it going. It might be horrible and it might not be good, but let's just get the habit in place. So then as we get on, we can optimize it later. So my, yeah, my big thing, and I've had to do this, is just do the 1%. Do 10 press-ups a day and, um, like, because I, I, was like, that's not exercise. It's not exercise unless I'm sweating, puffing, and it's 40 minutes hardcore. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's not. So yeah, they could just do one percent of everything, and I think lockdown helped with this, like connecting with people. With oh, my belief was we had to go away for weekends with mates and family to be connected, but no, a Zoom call for 10 minutes is all it takes. Or it a makes Zoom the world. Call, yeah, for two minutes, like it's just doing that one percent. Uh, has gone a long way, so that would be my advice. There, good old awesome Jake. man, yeah. that's amazing.
3: Um, cool. I mean, we're, we're pretty close. Gian's got some yeah. co- couple of quick fire questions
2: for you. Yeah, just some quick fire <laughs> questions. Um, who's your favorite rugby player of all time? Wow. Oh. <laughs> come on, Rich- Richie McCaw. Good man, good man. Okay, and then uh, last quickfire question. Oh, nice, there you go. Um, all right, the, who's your favourite bathroom of
1: all time? And just remember there's three answers to this one, okay?
2: <laughs> well, I don't
1: know their name, but we were in Corfu at the Pink Palace. If you've ever heard of the Pink Palace, which is a hostel in Corfu, and they just served us up Ouzo night after night. The, we're four of us supposed to go on tour around the Greek islands. We never left. We never left the Pink Palace for 14 days. Oh, we, never, we never <laughs> saw any other part of the Greek islands.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. They must have been hell of Bartenders. <laughs> Hello Bartenders. Oh. All right. Okay, well, I need to wrap it up because we're coming to the end of our hour. Um, so, first of all, like to anyone who's listening out there, if there's anything here that you really enjoyed or really liked today, drop us a comment. Let us know what you think. We want to hear from you guys and, you know see what see what you love about the podcast um thank you so much jt you have given us such a cool episode there's been so much interesting chat so many wisdoms and really really stoked you You took the time out of your morning to uh chat with us so thank you so much that was super awesome well
1: Well, well done you guys cope up man is so important hey so you guys are the jump starters Okay. yeah mm-hmm.
0: trying try your best <laughs> awesome all right uh well that's it for episode 10 and um i think that might be this might be the last one for the year so um yeah this is our season one closing out <laughs> all awesome. right thanks team